Well, we are studying the Gospel of John. If you have a Bible and you'd like to turn with me, we're going to the last chapter, to John chapter 21. And uh, we'll be reading together only three verses from 15 to 17. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've probably heard that there are two different words for love in this passage. One Bible even has footnotes to, uh, to clue you in. Uh, the first two times that Jesus asks here, do you love me? He uses a Greek word, agapao. And Peter replies both times using a different Greek word, phileo. And the third time, Jesus uses that word phileo, and Peter responds with phileo. Based on this change of words, some people argue that this is another confession of Peter's failure, as though, can you make it up to the agape love? No, Lord, it's only the phileo. Are you sure you can't make it to agape? No, it's only uh, phileis. No, well, maybe I should just ask, do you phileo me? Yes, says Peter, I do that. And so we are coming down to the lower form of love. The problem is, as I've explained many times, these two words are used synonymously and interchangeably here in the Gospel of John at many points and throughout the Bible, Old Testament translation into Greek as well as New Testament. The, uh, there is not a special love. As a matter of fact, if you notice here, all kinds of words are changing. Uh, in verse 15, the Lord says, feed my sheep, then uh, feed my lambs, then 16, tend my sheep. And then, verse 17, back to feed my sheep. In verse 15, Jesus says lambs, 16, sheep, 17, still sheep. In fact, the word to know changes as well. In verse 15, it's Ido. In verse 16, it's Ido. In verse 17, it's Gnosko. It means the same thing. And um, so all kinds of words are changing, and this is a curious uh, fact about the Gospel of John that he uses a lot of verbal variety to say the same thing in various words. Uh, we shouldn't make too much about this as though there was a special kind of love or knowing or feeding or sheeping. Um, just using different words to express the same thing. And uh, I could say much more about that, but uh, in the 20th century, there was some confusion, I think, about these words to love from non-scholars. And my general comment to you about reading the English Bible is this. Back before I learned the biblical languages, I, I heard from the preachers on the radio that there was all kinds of things that totally changed the meaning of the Bible when you knew the original. Then to my great relief, as I learned the original languages, I realized something important. The translators knew Greek. They knew Hebrew. They faithfully represented the meaning of these words to you, and sometimes there are shades that don't come across, and that's what footnotes are for. So I wish you to have confidence in your English Bible that what it is telling you is what it is saying in the original. And when Jesus says, love, 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 and Peter says, love, 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 they mean love. Let us read the word of the Lord with that brief introduction from John chapter 21, starting in verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, 
son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again, a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Amen. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we pray that we would feed well today as your flock, as your lambs, that we would come to this portion of God's word with uh, a thirst for an understanding of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that is greater than all of our sins for the for the mercy and the reconciliation and the restoration that he alone can give that will make all the difference in our future. We pray that we would stand all the more strongly in the grace of our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. This morning, you may be grieving over some failure in your life. You may be demoralized, filled with deep feelings of guilt, because of some act of sin or foolishness or something that you did or that was done to you that grieved you deeply. And the message that I have for you today is simple. In Christ, failure is not final. Failure is not final. The Lord desires your restoration, and all of biblical history reminds us that God's people are sinful, weak, and wounded, but there is not only a place for you, there's a future. That's my sermon in a nutshell. Too often, however, we find that the shame of our failure ties us to the past, afflicts us in the present, and lies to us about the prospects for the future. Shame has no mercy for its victims. Shame has no concern for the destruction it leaves behind in its wake to the one who is stuck in habitual sin and to the one with a painful past. We all know too well the shame of guilt and the isolation that it then produces in our lives as we hide away. And your shame and your guilt can keep you from enjoying Christ's great grace and comfort. So then the question is, how do we move forward? And how do we enjoy the freedom and fruitful life to which Christ is calling us? We certainly know it's possible. I mean, you consider all of the biblical heroes practically. You think of the major failures in the lives of Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, Jonah, many, many more biblical heroes who went on to do great things for the Lord. How are we to move forward? Well, today we'll be learning from the life of Peter. One of the most familiar stories in Peter's life is his famous threefold denial of Jesus. It's in all four Gospels. In the hours before Jesus' arrest, 
the Lord revealed that his disciples would all abandon him. Peter dismissed those words. He boasted, even if I, even if everyone else deserts you, Lord, I will never desert you. Jesus replied with a sober warning, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. But Peter was indignant, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. Now, we might question why anyone would want to argue so much with Jesus. But we're also told that earlier that evening, uh, Peter and the other disciples had been arguing about who among them was the greatest. It was not long until Peter got a tough lesson on pride going before a fall, right? When Jesus was arrested, uh, Peter and John followed the Lord to the courtyard of the high priest. And there, as you know, three times with oaths, Peter swore that he didn't know the Lord, that he was not one of his disciples. And then a rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked right at him. And it all came home to him as he realized that it had all come true, and he went outside and wept bitterly. And as the Lord was being led away to the crucifixion, Peter must have surely thought, what a way to end this relationship as Jesus is now gone. He would never have a chance to express the deep remorse that he felt and ask him for forgiveness. But Peter's failure was not final. At Christ's tomb, on the morning of his resurrection, the women found Jesus gone. The stone rolled away and an angel saying, go Tell his disciples and Peter he's risen. And Peter. Jesus wanted to see Peter. And Peter wanted to see Jesus. In fact, in the passage we read last week, when John said, it's the Lord, uh, Peter was so excited that he just jumped right off the boat and swam to shore ahead of everyone else to see Jesus. Often people, when they fail in their Christian lives, tend to avoid the Lord. Perhaps in their shame, they assume that the Lord had written them off and that Peter was wrong and that the Lord didn't want to see them. But Peter goes to Jesus as quickly as possible because he knows the Lord's heart. Jesus had cooked breakfast for his disciples, not something that we might do to somebody who's betrayed us, right? And in the passage before us today, Peter learns three things about the Lord's love and restoration. First, Jesus knows all our failures. Second, Jesus delights in restoring us. And third, Jesus calls us to go on serving in humble love. That'll be our study today. First, Jesus knows all about our failures. There were many reasons for Peter's failure. He certainly thought he was stronger than he was. And as I mentioned, Peter certainly had the pride that went before the fall. And failures teach us that we are trusting in ourselves too much and not in the Lord, right? Um, Peter proudly trusted in himself, even when the Lord repeatedly urged him to watch and pray. He was also a people pleaser. 
We see it the night he denied the Lord. We see it later in Antioch when he went along with some false teachers rather than stand up for the truth of the gospel as he should have. And when we make a decision based on what other people might think, we are sowing the seeds of failure as well. Peter struggled with people pleasing. And you know Solomon's proverb, right? The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. People pleasers inevitably please the wrong people and rob themselves of peace and integrity. That's what happened in Peter's life. He was also an impulsive man. He tended to say whatever he felt like, and that also was a recipe for failure as soon as he got afraid. But you know what that's like, right? When you feel angry, you say things in anger. When you feel afraid, you lie. When you feel envy, you speak evil. And one of the reasons we have many failures in our life is because we too speak what we feel. Like Peter, we often overestimate our strengths, we fear displeasing others, and we say what we feel. But you know what? Peter says it right here, the Lord knows it all. The Lord knows all those things and much more, and there's no use pretending with him. Lord, you know all things. On the night of the Lord's trial, Peter had denied Jesus, warming his hands by a charcoal fire. Here, the Lord restores Peter, also by a charcoal fire. Interestingly, the only other time this word is used in the New Testament. Peter boasted that he was above the other disciples in his commitment to the Lord. But now when the Lord asks him, Peter, do you love me more than these? He is humble and he only says simply, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Peter denied Jesus three times before others. And now three times Jesus asks Peter to confess his love before others. Three times. The Lord knows about all our failures and he tells us the truth about them. And facing your sins is always very humbling but also very necessary because we can't ignore the past. We can't pretend that It never happened. We have to face the truth. We have to deal with it. And the Lord does make us face it and help us deal with it. Peter was grieved. He was grieved when the Lord asked him in front of them all three times, do you love me? And the Lord knew that those questions would cause Peter grief as it brought back all that he had done. But he also knew, the Lord also knew that grieving over our sins is a necessary part of being restored from those same sins to a place of useful service. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. No one can properly serve the Lord who just shrugs off his sins and failures. is no big deal. And no one can have a deep love for Jesus who doesn't know that he's been forgiven much. So, when we do sin... The Lord knows, and we need to confess it as well and face it and feel the grief that our sin causes him and us, right? Peter grieved in his failure, and grief is a good thing when we are facing the truth and going through the pain to learn the lesson that we are considering today. Both godly sorrow and heart healing are important works of God's mercy. Healing from your past 
will give you hope for your future. Point one, Jesus knows all our failures. But point two, Jesus loves to restore his people. Jesus is not just taking this up to afflict his conscience. He's doing so to take initiative to restore his servant. So even on the morning of resurrection, the angel, remember, said, go tell his disciples and Peter. And those words, and Peter, must have rung in his ears and lift his distressed spirit. The, the, the Lord wants to see me? Did he really say, and Peter? And here the Lord invites Peter to have his threefold failure matched by a threefold declaration of love before others. The Lord's threefold assurance on top of that, that yes, he still wants Peter to go on in humble service. Peter later wrote in his first letter, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And that's what he learned to do, to say, Lord, I am casting all of my anxieties and fears and guilt and shame on you because you are a loving and merciful redeemer. I'm giving it all to you. And that is what made the difference. All right, so your past is one of the great weapons that the enemy of your souls will continually use against you aggressively and with great effect to keep you spiritually discouraged and weak and and maybe even paralyzed. The accuser, for that is what the name Satan means, the accuser of the brethren will remind you of all the things that you did wrong and all those wrong things that were done to you. And he knows that if he can keep your eyes focused on all the pain of the past with grief and shame, then you will not have the strength to be faithful in the future. And so that is why believing this gospel, this good news of Christ's grace, is the key of all Christian living. The only way that we can defeat such lies is with the truth. And Jesus tells a parable to illustrate his heart and his father's heart in this critical matter. Because you remember there was once the shame that the son brought to a father by saying, Dad, I want all my inheritance right now. And then he left home with all that money and squandered it on very sinful and wasteful living. And after a while, of course, when he had nothing left, he was reduced to utter poverty and misery. But then he made the best decision that he had made in a long time. He decided that he would return home just to beg his father if perhaps he could be like one of his hired men. But the father's reaction to his son was astonishing. And the prodigal son probably never would have imagined that his father could have responded in such a gracious manner. For the father saw him at a distance and ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. And the son couldn't even get all of his words out with his father saying, bring out the best robe and put it on him and a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let's eat and make merry. For this is the picture of God's heart, that he loves you and delights to restore you. He is the God that gives beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness to the praise of his glorious grace.
Your failure doesn't need to be a hitching post tying you to your past. Your failure can be a guidepost to lead you into a much better future with the Lord. And when you've failed, don't think that nothing has been accomplished. For in this failure, Peter learned something very important, learning a new way, the grace and the love of Jesus to him. Oh, he thought all those other disciples were wobbly. He thought that he was a, was a strong and great man, but he learned how deceitful sin in his heart truly was. He learned he did need to watch and pray. He learned he needed a new humility, that he would have to rely on the Lord and not himself, and he who was forgiven much would love much. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Christ's gracious and sympathetic love is what he needed to to convict and to cleanse and to change him as he does us. So I say, when you fail, don't think that nothing's been accomplished, not if you've come back to the Lord. He knows all our failures. And he loves to restore his people. But third and finally, Jesus calls us to serve in humble love. Jesus calls us to serve in humble love. The Lord told Peter even before he denied him. Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And here, as Jesus restores him, he tells them that, yes, he is still Christ's man to shepherd the flock, Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. At the beginning of that faithful, fateful evening, Peter had seemed so strong, so zealous, so fearless, so devoted. Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death, he said. To death. By the end of that evening, Peter was weak, humiliated, guilty, broken, weeping bitterly. I've asked you before, and I'll ask you again, when was Peter in a better spiritual condition? Before or after? When was he a more useful servant to be a preacher of the grace of Jesus? Before or after. It was Augustine in his great work, The City of God, who I first read being bold to say that Peter was in a much healthier condition when he was weeping bitterly at the end of his betrayal than when at the upper room he confidently promised the Lord his undying and unshakable loyalty. And the fact is that God rarely does so much good to us or he rarely prepares us so well to serve him humbly, faithfully, and fruitfully than when he lets us experience the shame of our failure. These are some of God's most powerful and memorable and important lessons for us that we too need to be brought to the place where we know that we stand only by grace 
and not by anything that is in us. For Paul could say, I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. He learned that by painful experience, that we must stand in God's strength and not in our own. And maybe there's someone here who's fallen like Peter. Or worse, you know it. God knows it. And perhaps you think that disqualifies you from any further useful service. I tell you, this is what qualifies you for useful service. And the Lord has it all in hand. For what use does the Lord have for proud, arrogant, self-reliant people? Hmm? Jesus had not only chosen Peter for a reason, he allowed him to fall for an important reason. And he brought him back now for this important reason because he wants Peter to be an ambassador of his grace, to be a humble, useful servant to feed his sheep. I put this quote by Richard Sibbs in the bulletin this week for your contemplation. Christ chose those to preach mercy who had felt the most mercy, as Peter and Paul, that they might be examples of what they taught. Paul became all things to all men, stooping unto them for their good. Christ came down from heaven and emptied himself of majesty in tender love to souls. Shall we not come down from our high conceits to do any poor soul good? Shall man be proud after God has been humble? No, the Lord Jesus seeks people who will not only proclaim sovereign grace, but who will exemplify it, who will enjoy it. And though you have fallen, God can be glorified in you in new and wonderful ways now that you might henceforth humbly live in the joy of his grace and the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And perhaps you too thought in your better days, I will never fall. Well, now there's one who will plead your cause, who is full of grace, who knows all about the feelings of your weaknesses, who's been tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin, who now therefore says, come boldly to the throne of grace, that you may find mercy and help in your time of need. There's a big difference, you see, between Judas and Peter. Both sinned on that night. And Peter had a very different ending than Judas. Judas ended up taking his life in despair. Peter ended up living his life on purpose. He returned to the Lord. Judas gave up. Peter looked up. Judas betrayed Jesus and then went and hanged himself. And why do you think that happened? I'll tell you why. The same devil that had gotten in his heart to lead him to deny the Lord, then led him to deny there was any more reason to live. He shamed him to death, literally. And that's what the enemy does. Tempts us, and when we have fallen, shames us. And we'd be happy to shame us to our death, that accuser of the brethren. He would love to drown you 
in discouragement. But there is good news. And especially if you are a Christian, God's not done with you yet. And if you are not, there is one who has grace far greater than your sins. And in every genuine Christian life, there are as many new beginnings as we have sins and as we have days. And we must live and serve daily in the strength of this promise that the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And that our sins have been buried in the deepest sea and he remembers them no more. Every Christian fails the Lord. Every Christian must go on to serve in humble love. Peter failed but found that there are mercies every morning with breakfast. And some of you have failed utterly. Come to me, Jesus says, and I will restore you, and I will forgive you, and I will cleanse you. And yes, when you are weak, then I am strong. For Jesus calls you to serve in humble love. Well, in conclusion, uh, Paul refers in his letter to the Galatians to another moment in Peter's life. Peter's cowardice later in Antioch. Peter was not finished with failure. But then Peter was not finished with the Lord's grace either. And although Peter still failed Jesus, Jesus never failed him. And we can say the same as Peter said this morning, Lord, you know that I love you. Which is to say, Lord, I know that my life does not demonstrate my love for you as it should. I rightly fear that others may look at me from time to time and gather from what they see and hear that I do not love you wholeheartedly. But Lord, you know that I do love you. And I cannot leave you. One of my favorite writers, J.C. Ryle, comments, the answer that the humbled apostle gave is one account that the true servant of Christ in every age can give of his religion. Such a one may be weak and fearful and ignorant and unstable and failing in many things, but at any rate, he is real and sincere. He may add that he does not love him as much as he ought to do, but he will not say that he does not love him at all. This rule will be found true with very few exceptions. Wherever there is true grace, there will be a consciousness of love toward Christ. And maybe this is the most important thing that he realized that, that morning. I do love him. I love him more than I could possibly have known. I love him now more today than yesterday. And Peter's restoration is an amazing source of encouragement for us 
who are not heroes, who trust in a God of new beginnings. For Peter was not the first, and he has not been the last, that the Lord has delighted to bring the greatest of redemptions. And this is what the Lord Jesus does when he takes hold of a life, however frail and shaky. The Lord has had this recorded for you to encourage you that we commit ourselves afresh to whatever purposes God has given, however much we must hobble forward. Behold your God, dear people. He has plans to overcome evil with good, that where sin abounded, grace might much more abound. This is a good God, people. This is a good God. And Peter is just in one of a long, long line of those who received grace and discovered that with the Lord Jesus, failure need not be final. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would forgive us when we have indulged in such wallowing self-pity that we have been our own worst enemies and giving heed to the accusations and lies and paralyzing missiles of the enemy. And now we come to you to lift all the burdens from off of our shoulders that drag us down as we would cast them upon the Lord that he would sustain us. The Lord Jesus who himself can handle and he alone who can nail them to a cross that they should die and perish and that only we and he should remain that we might be freed henceforth from all the snares and tricks of the devil, taking up the shield of faith with which we can extinguish all of his flaming arrows. And we pray daily for his grace, for the new mercies by which alone we stand. Guard our faith and love in Christ and strengthen us even in our trials and temptations, that whether we succeed or whether we fail, that your name might be all the more praised on the day of your great sons of